Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. Happy 2024, Brian. Yep, and just to, as I said to you, 352 days to Christmas, shopping days left for Christmas. And that's that's because it's a leap year. Okay. Got an extra year. Extra I just I, I've, I need my bank account to first recover from this um, <laughs> Christmas, Brian, before we start, start talking about next Christmas. Well, a lot of people are struggling now because they got paid early December and not going to get paid till the 25th of January. That's still another two and a half weeks away. And people are going to find the difficulties. They've got a lot of expenses. The consumers, they've got school clothing. You've seen all the stories about the increasing costs of school books and all the things and school fees. Difficult time for many of our consumers. Rent, rent not paid. You know, difficult, difficult time. And, 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 and I'll just make the comment. If you are in that situation mm. and you have to pay money and you don't have it, don't just pretend it's going away. Talk to whoever you owe money to. Let them know what your plans are. That maybe you'll only be able to pay partly at the end of January. And because January is a long way away after your payment in December, maybe you have to even carry that forward to February. But talk to anyone you owe money so you come to terms. It's going to make your life that much easier, I promise you. Brian, you're a financial guy. What is it about human nature that we always fall into the cycle? Is it the festive season in particular? What What is it that happens in this period that just seems to derail us financially so much? You know, it's about having a little bit of fun. It's about being entitled to a little bit more than what happens during the year. We get into this festive season, December, school children are off, off from school, and we just tend to be a little bit more maybe generous to ourselves, not realizing the consequences. But it, it's world over. It's world over. It's amazing. You know, if you think about the UK, people do shopping before Christmas, at all the big departmental stores, and the day after Christmas, the sales start when you can buy anything between goods that you were paying a week before Christmas, paying, getting discounts of anything between 25 and 40% cheaper. But people will not give Christmas presents as a voucher rather than a present so that you got so much more benefit after Christmas to go shopping. It's just the it's just a feel in the air. You know, first of December in South Africa is summer. And hopefully, I know a lot of people have had a lot of rain. But hopefully in the summer, people just feel a little bit better. And it's just one of those things. It's never going to change. I always say, you need to do your budget for 2025, well, you should have done your budget for 2024, around about mid-November. So you understand exactly what's going to happen December, January, February, and the rest of the year. All right. Okay, Brian. So I guess on that note, it's a good place for us to start for this year because we'll be talking about some of the critical factors that we need to consider when it comes to our financial plans. And... It's the beginning of the year. I know that um, if if somebody ended off the year in a job um, coming into 2024, then there is a level of stability that they would have in mind. But where should we really begin? You said by now we should have a financial plan. Well, you but know what happens if we don't? Well, I'm not talking about a financial plan this morning. I'm talking about what the administration is. And I've, I've, I've put it into five different components. The first relates to a will. And I'm saying if you do not have one, the inability of your heirs to receive funds that, that you're expecting to go, you may find they're going to go to the wrong people. So draw a will. 
And then you need to check those who've got a will, things change and you need to check the following. Who is the executor? Is it that person you still want? Who is the guardian of younger minor children? Who is going to be the guardian? Are they aware that they are the nominated guardians? If there are minors, who are the trustees that you've appointed to handle the funds? Because children under the age of 18, firstly, shouldn't be inheriting money because they're not of the right age. And secondly, they can't. So it's going to go into a trust. If you don't have a will, it's going to the guardian's trust. You're going to have to deal with government when you want to draw monies. And I can tell you, I, I, I wouldn't want to be in that position. And if you have dependents living overseas, will they be able to export any of the assets you've left to them? When I talk about exporting assets, I'm talking about cash. Can't export your home, but export, but exporting cash, will they be able to get that money? Have they, have they investigated what it means if they haven't yet emigrated from South Africa? On your insurance policies, check who the beneficiaries are. It's, you know, we just leave it. We point, we appoint by, by policy 20 years ago. We never really check if, if the beneficiaries change. Do those, are those beneficiaries change? If you're giving up smoking, if you've given up smoking, communicate with the insurance company to get non what we call non-smoker rates. You could save between 30 to 40% on your premium. That's a phenomenal thing. So if you're a smoker, all I'm saying to you is maybe consider not smoking and saving substantial money, not only on the cost of cigarettes, but on your policies. If, again, there are minors that you have appointed as beneficiaries, who's going to look after the funds on their behalf? half have you set up trusts and with life policies when you reach the rubicon you still need all the cover you need to talk to a financial advisor on disability policies has your occupation changed in the last year and you haven't informed insurance companies which could in the end result in a repudiation of a claim because you've got a disability cover under one occupation and you may now be in a more hazardous occupation on the pension funds have you got an updated statement? Get an updated statement to see where you stand. Check with your administrators where are the funds being invested? Because in some people want to take on more risk, others may want to take less risk depending on your age. So you need to understand when you're investing in markets, there is risk. When you're in cash, there's risk that you miss out. I'll give you a perfect example. International markets last year at an average grew anything between 16 to 22 percent. And cash grew by eight to nine and a half percent. And the investment communities were saying, "Be in cash." We were. I were, You've been hearing me on air. If you've got a long-term time horizon, I've always said, "Stay invested." Have you considered whether you're going to want to participate in the two-pot system that's going to be implemented on the 1st of March where you're able to borrow? And if so, discuss with your administrator the possibility how you're going to go about withdrawing funds. Because in March, if you leave it till then, there's an expectation put out, I think, by Old Mutual that one million South Africans, yes, one million South Africans are going to make, make requests. And do you want to be in that queue? So find out what you can do. Have you evaluated what, is, what, you, uh, is, what you're going to receive from your funds on your death? Now, understand, when you work for a company, you get a multiple of salary as a life cover, three or four or five times your salary. Sometimes the insurance, the, the, life, the company that you work for has what they call free cover limit. So up to a million rands, you won't need a medical. But if your multiple of salary exceeds that, do you need a medical? Have you been for that medical? Is all the cover in trust? 
And remember, the beneficiaries under under a pension or retirement fund does not stand like a life policy. It's a letter of wishes. And the trustees have an obligation to find out who are all your dependents before they pay out in a beneficiary. So have a look at that benefit. On the medical aid, I've said, evaluate if you're on the correct medical scheme with a healthcare broker. And if you can afford it, do you need gap cover? Because the difference between doctors charging on medical aids, they can charge up to five to 600% for a procedure in hospital, and you may only be covered for 100 to 200%. How are you going to make up the difference? On the short-term side, first understand warranties. Do you have a safe warranty? Do you have a burglar alarm warranty? Do you have warranties in terms of motor cars being housed? Make sure your sum insureds are correct. And it's not about market value. It's replacement value. The goods in your home, when you insure them, you can't insure them for because they're old. You're not going to be replaced with old goods. You're going to be replaced with new. So check on that. Check the sum insured on your home to make sure that the sale price has got nothing to do with the replacement price of your home. And lastly, furnitures. And on motor vehicles, check for particularly young people who have now got licenses and they're driving their parents' car. Are you covered? If you buy your child a car, you can't just put it in their, your name because you're going to get a lower premium. The insurance companies may, may repudiate a claim. There's not everything that I've mentioned. I've just mentioned a few pointers this morning to have a look at. And again, if you want uh, a, a comment, you can always contact me at info at anchorcapital.co.za, info at anchorcapital.co.za, and we'll send what, exactly the comments I've made this morning for you to check up on. All right. So, Brian, let's, let's go back to the issue of insurance. Are you saying that we must just, as a form of habit have our policies re- reviewed every year yes firstly you need your policies reviewed to make sure the sums insured that means the another the amount you insured for is adequate to provide to cover debt did you take on more debt during the year to provide for education your education costs could be coming down because your children are getting older and their years are less and then how much will your family need in the event of you the breadwinner if you're a double income family you need to take that into account if you're not a double income family and that one spouse is working the others uh, the homemaker what happens if something happens to that homemaker you need to review it but also review the beneficiaries and when it comes to household contents that you touched on? Well, think about it. You know, you'll come and say, well, my household contents are worth 200000 but try and replace them for 200000 You'll replace them for 500000 because you're going to buy new. But if you're some insured is only 200000 the insurance company is going to apply average, which means, if let's, and let's make it simple, if you insure for half the value in your home, even though everything may not disappear from your home, you will only get half the, the claim paid. You will be your own insurer for the other half. And particularly with house owners, people are saying, I can't sell my house for $2 million, yet the replacement value in terms of rebuilding is $3 million, And they say, well, my whole house will never burn down. But if you have a partial uh, part of your home and an assessor comes there and values that your home should have been insured for $4 million and you were only insured for $2 million, that you're only going to get half that claim paid. And if, if the damage of fire was $500,000, you are only going to get $250,000. Make sure it's not a costly insurance. It's, a, it's an important insurance because it's one of your main assets. You know, if you lose a watch or you lose a cell phone, not a happy event. But if your house burns down or there's a, t- a catastrophe, it can, it can ruin you and your family. 
When it comes to um, the medical aids, Brian, I think towards the end of last year, of course, many issued the notice for the increases that will be coming up this year. And, of course, it's just through the roof. You know, lots of people um, will find themselves in positions where they can no longer keep up with their medical aid payments. Now, how do you advise that we have that conversation with the um, medical schemes, especially if you're perhaps not necessarily looking to drop it altogether. Kathy, understand most medical aids today and most commercial medical aids, private medical aids, have a commission built in to the cost for a broker, but a medical aid broker, not a financial broker who's not well equipped and fully understands all the all the nuances that you need to understand that you need to have in your place. So you, so if it's built in and you don't use it, you, you, you're making, get hold of a healthcare broker. They don't earn a lot of money. They earn, I think, up to 108 rand a month of your contribution. If you're paying three or four, five thousand, it's nothing. And let them evaluate because you talked about this year. It's not about this year. What about next year and the following year? Because the one thing that's going to keep increasing is medical aid costs. We're talking about NHI, and, it's, and you know, it's ready there for our president to sign off. Well, I hope he doesn't sign it off because it's a disaster in its current form. You know, it, 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 is this a political play? But you, the, the healthcare industry, the, the, all the parties who are interested have said in this correct form, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be, where's the money going to come from? Yes, they say we've got the money. Well, you know, we've got a lot of other monies we need to spend on elsewhere. So I'm just saying, and also in hospital, Hospitalization, if you the doctor's not networked, even if you've got a medical aid, a hospital plan, and you go into hospital and the doctor that sees you charges five or six hundred percent of what's considered tariff. So let's assume tariff is a thousand and the doctor charges you six thousand. You're gonna have to make up that difference. So if you can, if you do downgrade, and I'm not saying it's a replacement, if you do ground grade, at least have top up insurance so you can cover that aspect of the doctor's charging. There are many of them that are charging those fees. There are a lot that aren't. I think Discovery have got 87 to 89% of network doctors. So if you use that doctor, and you know, don't be scared to ask a doctor if you don't have a medical aid for a discount. You'll ask anyone else for a discount. Don't be nervous to say to the doctor, I don't have a medical aid. It's out of my reach. Can, can, can you consider giving me a discount? And, and you're bringing me to my next point, Brian, because I think when it comes to a lot of these services that um, we procure from different entities with its medical aid, with its insurance, um, you know, we take it as, as a done deal. How much flexibility is there for us as the customer to at the beginning of the year, like we're doing now, to say, actually, these are the policies I have. I'm now going to go back to each of these providers and try and renegotiate the terms that I've entered into with them. How easy is it to do that? From an insurance point of view, it isn't easy at all because you've committed to a premium for a particular benefit. On the short-term side, when you're talking about fire, you can take on excesses. There are a lot of things. Don't be scared to use a broker. You know, you want to deal direct, that's fine. But, you know, the broker does per- does often serve a purpose and can help you through it. Um, um, you know, there are a lot of direct insurers who've done exceptionally good jobs. But I'm just saying, you know, when you need help, you need an account help from a doctor, you've got a doctor. You need help on the accountant, you've got an accountant. You've got legal issues, you've got a lawyer. Why be scared to use a financial planner? But certainly I'm going to make one last point about one thing. If you are a small, a minor smoker, or even if you, you know, you're a heavy smoker, 
and you've got insurance policies and you are coded as a, as, as a smoker. If you give up smoking completely, you could save 30 to 40% on your premiums. And, you know, that is substantial. All right. We'll get to that in a moment. It's 10.30 now. Time for the latest news headlines. Talking finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. All right, we're continuing to talk finance with Brian Hirsch. In a moment, I'll be taking your calls for him on 086-000-2032. Do you have any specific questions related to the administration of your financial plan? You remember there's so many different facets that Brian has touched on. And he says, well, the beginning of the year is a good time to review do you have all of these things uh, in order because that sets it creates the foundation um, really for good financial viability personal financial viability going into the rest of the year so I'll take your calls for Brian on 086-000-2032 on the WhatsApp voice note line you can send those on 0614-104-107 Okay, uh, Brian, first question of the day. I have a question on how the new pension fund structure will work and what are the benefits from it. And this listener says they understand it will only begin in September. Yes, look, originally it was going to stop be 1st of March 2024, then it was extended to the 1st of March 25, then there was a, a agreement done 1st of September. Now I understand that the national finance have come back and said it's going to be the 1st of March. So we're waiting for clarity. All that means is that you're going to create different pots of your money. You've got money invested in a pension fund. Part of it's going to go into what we call the retirement pot, and the other is going to go into what's called the savings pot which mean, will then be divided, the savings pot will be divided into two components. That will be an amount that you can take out from the pension fund uh, and the other m- amount will remain in that. At the moment, you're in, they're going to allow, according to the current uh, regulations, up to 10% of that second pot, up to a maximum of 30,000 in any one year. It's, we'll, I'll give a lot more detail when I hear more. Unfortunately, we may only hear on the budget, and the budget day for this year is the 29th of February. Uh, I thought it was the 22nd of February. It's the 29th of February, So, and, the, and it's due to come into effect on the 1st of March. The insurance companies have said we may not be ready, so I'm not quite sure where that stands. Uh, however, I made the suggestion, don't wait till the 1st of March if you're going to be in that, in deciding you want to be able to take some funds um, out of your pension fund because there's going to be, according to Old Mutual, at least 1 million South Africans who are going to be applying for this. So you can imagine the administration and, and, and the queue that's going to occur. So the trick then is that if you want to access some of your pension funds, apply rather sooner rather find than later. Out, find out what you can do. You know, a lot of people are going to wait. So you are not going to be, the comments I'm making today is going to put you ahead of the game because you, they, I don't think there are many people who are writing to their clients now saying, well, you can. You can't borrow yet, but start the process. Find out that you get to the front of the queue, not the back of the queue. Next question is from Bongani. Hi, Kathy. Please ask Brian, when is the right time to inform my insurance company 
uh, to review my policy that I've stopped smoking. I stopped five months ago and I'm not intending going back ever again. I'm so happy and I feel refreshed. Congratulations to you, Bongani. Bongani, I don't know what you're paying, but you're going to get a lovely sp- savings for this year, which you can use to do other things. Maybe you maybe need the money or alternatively, if you've got the willpower to stop smoking, maybe you've done a good, you've got a good budget. Maybe you can invest it to create some additional retirement funds. You can find out each insurance company has its own rules. Some companies six months, some companies 12 months. Check up with your company. When Give them the information. They'll probably call for what's called a cottonine. I think it's a cottonine test to check for the, uh, uh, what, what comes from smoking? I've forgotten. Nicotine. Nicotine. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I've got a bit of otonico rustle. The <laughs> nicotine. You can check up, find out from them, and and ask them when you can go for that test. But any each companies will have its different rules. But well done to you, Mongani. And again, I'm making the point. If you are firstly a light smoker, there's no reason why you shouldn't stop. And if you're a heavy smoker, health-wise, you'll save money. I can promise you'll help money on your health. You'll save money on on on, on cigarettes, and you'll get a saving on your insurance company on your policies on your disability policies and all those things so brian what do they do do they if you were a smoker and then you quit smoking so let's say the time frame is 12 months where you go for this test and you're cleared do they keep testing those that used to be smokers no no once 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 they tested you uh, and they satisfied that you've passed the the tests for them you get you get a 30 percent discount minimum so if you fall off the wagon a year and a half after, what happens? Well, you have a responsibility because if something happens to you and you die and the insurance companies find out that you are now smoking, and there's a whole way, many ways, they will then adjust your premium accordingly. So let's assume, for, for simplistic sake, you've got a million rands worth of cover and you're paying 2,000 rand a month. You, that's as a smoker. You now say, I'm no longer a smoker, and your premium comes down to, say, 1,400 rand. So you've got 600 rand. You've now got that same million rands worth of cover. Five years later, you die. They find out you're a smoker. They will calculate how much of that premium extra would have been to go because you're a smoker and adjust the payout to your family accordingly. And don't think they can't find out. There are so many tests done these days that the insurance companies know. And with artificial intelligence information coming through, be wary of anything that you think you can get away with. So basically, because if I've smoked my whole life, maybe um, the impact of that is what may lead to or contribute to my to cause of death. Yes. I'm just asking, are, are there loopholes that people then have to deal with, those that have previously been smokers, when it comes then to um, payouts from their insurance? No, no. Uh, all I'm saying is if they find out afterwards that you, they've given you now non-smoker rates mm. and they find out that you're a smoker, they will adjust the cover to what the premium... So if your premium now is 70%, your life cover will only be paid out at 70% if you start smoking again. So okay. just be aware of that. All right, okay. That's fair enough. All right. Um, let me play this WhatsApp voice note question. I'll take some of, some of the calls that are coming through in a moment. Morning to you, uh, Sis Kathy and uh, Brian. Welcome back. I uh, just want to let you guys know uh, that uh, on my medical aid, uh, I withdrew uh, membership uh, for the very reason, uh, and I can't mention the medical aid, 
they uh, removed the secondary GP in uh, uh, this month. And uh, I was only notified by an email in November saying there will be changes to my uh, medical aid plan, but no details up until I found out from my GP uh, what's going on. So in place of the secondary uh, GP, they've uh, suggested uh, that we visit uh, primary healthcare clinics uh, of two of which they suggested is in the Bundus, uh, 30 kilometers away from me, and one is in a crime-ridden area. So uh, it's obvious that uh, the medical aid premiums are going up, but the benefits are being slashed, and I hope that the uh, Council for Medical Schemes uh, uh, can uh, look into this uh, because... Uh, I mean, uh, not advising uh, members well in advance and taking a unilateral decision is, is not uh, correct. It's not ethical. Thank you, Frank Maritzburg. Well, thank you for that, because by the way, other than premium increases, co-payments have also gone up and other benefits may have reduced. I'm not saying that at a, at a, at a critical level where there's essential hospitalization that medical aides have done anything differently. But down the line, you know, medical aides really, they governed by a um, to have um, what they need to have in terms of solvency margins. They, you know, the medical aid, by the way, is, a, is not a subsidiary take discovery discovery manages and administers a medical aid but the medical aid is a separate entity completely and that medical aid in itself and each plan in that medical aid has to have the solvency margins so um, that's what I'm saying before you take on any action talk to a healthcare broker uh, they earn a little bit of money it's good for it's good for them it's good for you all right, okay. Thanks and by again. the way, it doesn't cost you any more mm. because you're already paying for it. If you say to Discovery or any of the other medical aids who fed health and all those, I don't want to broker, they're not going to give you a discount on your medical aid. It's built in. You can get that help from a healthcare broker. All right. Th- thanks for that, Brian. Um, let me go to Defo. Defo, you're calling us from Valfam. Good morning. Good morning and compliments of the new year. Um, Brian, I hope my question is is relevant to um, in October of last year I was involved in a collision with another car and um, we did the necessary reporting of the accident and I submitted all the you know the assessor for my insurance company came and the claim was then uh, put through and approved um, obviously it was through fault of mine but I wanted to understand because the driver of the vehicle of the other driver that I was involved, um, obviously the car was not insured, and somebody's acting on their behalf. I don't know whether I should name their name of the company, but um, to date they have kept on saying to him, they're waiting for validation. Um, he has asked for my, uh, you know, uh, the information on my vehicle myself, and so I've submitted all of that. And then... Um, since October, they have been, you know, sending in from point A to point B for, to see. And till today, today even said they're still validating. And the guy is, you know, I'm kind of like inundated with calls from him because obviously um, 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 the company that is representing him doesn't seem to come to Paris, even though I have got third-party insurance on my cover. Your th- third party covered is, 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 is all about accident, injury. You, was there any injury involved in the case? 
there was no injuries. Okay, so it was damage to the vehicle. Yeah, look, the, the problem is 65% of South Africans are driving without insurance, which means if they are responsible for causing the accident and they are definitely liable, in other words, let's use an example, someone runs into you from the back, whatever happens, they are liable because they're meant to have a, a safe distance between them, which means that the insurance company is going to recover, try and recover their money and did you have to pay an excess? Yeah, I had I paid access for my, my yes. Bike. So they're going to try and recover. They've got a bigger claim. The the claim the value the amount of claim was greater that the insurance company paid in than your excess. So they've got a vested interest in trying to recover the money. But I can tell you, they don't try. They they try, but they they, they give up very quickly. It, you know, to try and take anyone to court today is costly. So unfortunately, for those driving who are not at fault and are involved in an accident with someone who's uninsured, very difficult to. recover cover but the, remember the insurance company's got a much bigger claim against that individual so they will let them carry on october to now is not even three months these these cases can go on for years so you've just got to park that at this point in time it's unfortunate it's not a happy situation but you but that that is the reality uh and you've got to leave it in the insurance company's hands just to repeat in this case it was through fault of mine it was not the fault of the other driver my car is insured, this car is not insured. Yes, and who caused the damage? Both damage, I, I, it was through my fault, it was not through his fault. So it was your fault? Yes. Oh, sorry, I missed it. Okay, well, I've, de- I've dealt with when people aren't at fault. If, but, sorry, they've paid you out, they've repaired your car, and, and you've paid an excess. So who's now going against you? The, 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 the person who, who was not at fault? No, but yeah, the person who was not at fault, um, the company representing him, uh, keeps on saying they're validating, they are waiting for validation. Well, you but must I, just pass, keep passing that on to your insurance company. It's not your problem. You are insured. You've paid your excess, and yes. they must deal with it. Just keep passing it on to the insurance company. Okay. No, okay. thank you very Pleasure. much. Pleasure. Thank that. you. Thanks a lot. And thank by the way, we, thank you. When you said it's not relevant, this is an open program on any financial subject. I try and pick something every morning or every Tuesday morning that can just start the program off. But please, to all our listeners, you can never ask a stupid question. You can only get a stupid answer from me. So, But no. I will never give that. I'll rather just d- d- defer that until I can get the information. But this is your program to ask any question on anything that's on your mind regarding financial planning, state planning, tax planning, investment planning, retirement planning. No, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Katie. Thank you. All right. All right, Defoe. Thanks for calling in. Um, Brian... One of our listeners says, I'm about to fill out retirement forms and I want the two-thirds to be held by a private company. I don't know what investment variations will be good to choose a company. Okay, there are two, two steps you're taking. One is you're going to choose a company and it doesn't matter which company you choose because they've all got the same burst of opportunity where you can invest funds. So the two-thirds being insured, transferred to an insurance company. All you need to know, as long as it's a recognized insurance company, don't go to a, fanny, a, a brand you've never heard of, but if it's one of the main recognized companies, you're going to put the two-thirds, you want to find out, one, ask one question, what are they going to charge you for using what I call their platform? And that varies between different companies.
The second aspect is now how are those funds going to be invested, and that is determined very much by what your requirements are and how much you're going to draw from that two-thirds. You're allowed to draw a minimum of 2.5% to a maximum of 17.5%. Remember that income is taxable depending on your tax rates. Now you've got to determine how to, where do I invest those funds, and that is determined by what your requirements are to draw. If you're going to draw 10%, you've got to be very conservative because you're probably going to draw more than the fund's going to earn. If you're going to draw 25 to 3%, you can probably be a little bit more growth-orientated. You need to talk to a financial advisor who can shop around the market and say, Sunlam or Liberty or Al Mutual or Momentum, this is their rate that they're going to charge you for, for allowing the two-thirds to be transferred and then determine with your broker how those funds are going to be invested based on what your withdrawals are. Remember, you're retiring now. Your life expectancy could be 10, 15, 25 years ahead. With inflation, you need to make sure those funds are growing so that you keep up with inflation. All right. We'll continue the conversation with Brian Hirsch in a moment. I'm still taking your questions for him. 086-000-2032 is the number to dial. On the WhatsApp voice note line, you can send those text messages and voice notes on 0614-104-107. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point. We're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Uh, Brian, a question here from a government employee. I'd like to know, is the GEPF part of the Pensions Withdrawal Program? It is part of the pension Withdrawal Program. Let's go to this question now. Um, hi, I can access a quarter of the pension. Is that not a loan? Because I'm accessing what I would have ordinarily had access to at the end of my age of retirement? That's a question from Len out in Bloom. Len, a little bit confusing. When you reach retirement, you can take one-third of the fund in cash, and they're certainly tax-free amounts if you haven't used them before, and two-thirds has to either buy you a living annuity, which I responded to a caller previously on, or uh, you can buy a fixed annuity. You need to, again, understand the difference and the different the different benefits and disadvantages. Uh, so you are confusing that at retirement. The, the, the two-part system, it doesn't talk about that at all. They're going to create a different pot uh, with, with, and we think around about a third of the funds will go into that pot and you'll only be able to access 10% of that fund with a maximum of 30,000 and I think the minimum is 2,000 rand a year. Okay. Um, let me take these voice notes for you, Brian. Of course, we'll do it one at a time, one at a time. Hi, Katie. Uh, hi, Brian. Thank you for the great show. Uh, just a quick one here. Uh, I just want to know if uh, do medical aid schemes uh, apply uh, economies of scale uh, when deciding how much premium their members will pay? I just want to know that because I know that some companies offer 50-50, the employer pays 50% and the employee pays 50%. Does that uh, mean that uh, there was economy of scale applied by the medical aid scheme? Thanks. Okay, no economy scale. Each each scheme itself has its own, as you say, economy of scale. But when you com- companies contributing, in other words, if I contributed to the medical aid and you contributed through a company, I privately contributed to the same plan. The, t- the amount, the premium would be, the contribution would be exactly the same. The fact that the employer is contributing fifty percent and you contributing fifty percent, it is a fringe benefit, and there's certain uh, allowances there as well. Certainly the tax credits, but it, it's it, it's as per scheme. In, in other words, it, it's not 
not it's not related to any earnings or any affordability it's the number of members on that scheme number of dependents on that particular plan that will pay the same premium there sorry and, and let me say there may be some other closed schemes there may be some schemes that I'm not aware of but in general I'm this is I would rather say this is more in general the the answer to your question okay morning good morning guys uh, 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 Katie, I'd like to inquire uh, to the gentleman there uh, if you have a life insurance uh, but uh, you are smoking weed only do you do, do they consider you as a smoker or a non-smoker thank you what did you say how, how big bigger smoker he wants to know that if if you smoke weed, marijuana. <laughs> I, I think if you smoke anything, you smoke a pipe or anything. I think anything that goes into your lung. But Vaping. yeah, but I can tell you, if you tell the insurance company, I don't smoke, but I smoke weed and marijuana. I think they may either load you or decline you. Vaping. Smoking, I would imagine. I've got no idea. You need to check with your insurance company. Uh, I think Vaping. We, the, yeah, Let me check the, up on the, that. Yeah, I always like a, a question that I have to go back and do some homework. Okay. I asked my grandson who plays, a, he's playing the guitar. He's 11 years old. And I said to him yesterday, can you do grandpa a favor? By the way, I'm also learning the guitar, but badly. And I said to him, can you please learn a, um, the song Procol Harum, A Whiter Shade of Pale? It's the most beautiful song. And he said, grandpa, don't give me homework. So, I mean, you know, so, so Kathy, don't give me homework. I'll let you know about vaping. <laughs> I give you homework every week. I'll let Brian. you know about I vaping. You, I, uh, I would imagine it's week. the same. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, I'll give you the answer next well, week. Okay, let's find out. Let's find out. Okay, next question. Good morning, Kathy and Brian there, and uh, wish you all the best for this season 2024. Uh, Kathy, uh, I just hear Brian said there's no uh, stupid question or anything like that. He said it's an open platform. Brian, uh, I have a passion of the livestock and everything. So uh, my plan is to go for the livestock. I very little have uh, knowledge of saving with the investment and doing all those things. My passion, I saw myself uh, going for farming, uh, but more special on the livestock. Are you saying must I go for it or must I think twice or must I mustn't put all my eggs in one basket? What's your advice there? Thank you. Have a good one. Look, I have many clients who've come consulted me over the years who are now retiring, particularly government employees who've actually gone into livestock. And I've got clients who are professional in, in this business. It's a phenomenal business. I mean, the, the, the increase in the price of beef has been enormous and, and, very, and lamb as well. So it's certainly a very good form of living. But, you know, one needs diversification. You know, you earn a salary, you pay the bills of life, you put a little bit away into retirement, you put a little bit more away into savings, you spend the rest. In any business you want to diversify so if you're in the livestock fantastic and if you know what you're doing obviously I don't know much about that but if you know what you're doing certainly a good way to go and then if you've got surplus funds that's when you start investing them and diversifying because you know things can happen you don't want to have all your eggs tied up in one particular business I mean there could be we could have a terrible drought in this country uh, you could lose livestock and that's costly so always in, in terms of everything that you, there's three components to diversification. D diversify out of your business, diversify 
into different asset classes and diversify globally. Those are the three components of diversification. So many people have made a success in livestock, but they've also invested money through me where they've made profits and they haven't increased their livestock enormously and put themselves under enormous pressure with uh, financial costs or borrowings. All right. Let me take Khojani. You're in Kronstadt. Hello, Khojani. How are you? All right. Thank you. I can see you don't have time. Look, uh, let me make it first. May I get an advice or ask a question? Those who are working in the municipal environment, they have got a pension fund. Now, if one, you know, the pension fund obviously is going to be used for future. If you've got a property that you want to develop and you don't have money, and this property may assist you for the rest of your life, even better than the, the pension fund that you have. It, it, can you borrow money from the pension fund as a municipal worker to develop that property? Because after all, the, 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 the purpose of the pension fund is to assist a person in the future. But if you have got such development like that, can can the pension fund be borrowed or can the pension fund be sourced? That That is the, the question that I needed to find out from the from your presenter there. I should never have mentioned if you if you you can no question stupid because I don't have a, I don't have a complete answer. Let me make this comment. Under the current rules of a pension fund which have been in for years, the one time you can borrow on your pension fund is for property. And it's usually for your own property, developing or buying your own property. Whether it's in, whether you can for an investment property, it depends of the rules set by the fund. Now some funds have set up particular vehicles where you can actually borrow from the fund an amount equal to a percentage of your withdrawal benefit. If you leave the company, they will automatically take that withdrawal benefit and then pay off what you borrowed. Others have set up a relationship with banks where you can go to a bank and the pension fund will guarantee the bank that amount of money if you withdraw at any particular point in time. I don't know what the story is with municipal workers and I can say that in private pension funds, every pension fund has a different component. But you can even forget the two-pot system. Anyone that wants to do something with their property can borrow from their pension fund, uh, from their pension. Remember, the two-pot system, you will borrow without paying interest. You will pay tax. But when you borrow to to, to develop your property, and, it, and I don't know the answer, I'm going to find out the answer whether you can go into an investment property versus your own your own lifestyle property, and I'll come back next week. All right. All right, Khojane, all the best. Brian will have an answer for you next week. Brian, just a quick SARS question. Let's squeeze it in, that voice note. Uh, Good morning, Kathy. Um, I just want to check, man. Um, In terms of government officials that they have traveling allowance, and then currently government is saying they don't have funds for us to travel. Um, In terms of SARS, can you check with Brian? what recourse do we have because we are not traveling, not because we we don't want to, but because they are, it's said that there's no money joining from Pretoria. I'm not sure I understand the question because if you're getting a traveling allowance and they haven't got money to pay you, then you sh- you're not getting anything, you're not traveling, then there's no, there's no fringe benefits and there's no set-off against what mileage you're using on your car versus the thing. Um, may, may I ask you, my, my, my radio line is not open. 
It only will open next Monday. But would you, we are going to take your phone number down. Uh, do we have the phone number, C- Kathy? Do we have that yes, number? Yes, yes. We'll take you down, and I will call you off air just to get a little bit more understanding to the comments you've made. All right. Kathy, a great year, a great a great year to all our listeners. And as you know, when I came in, I told you, Eskim phoned me yesterday to buy my excess energy because I'm so energized. Uh, the only problem is the, the only problem is where, where I need to be plugged in. Anyway, I'm not doing it, uh, even though I've got that excess energy. If you need it, Kathy, plug into me. Save it for May when you really need it the most, Brian. Thank you for coming in, as always, Brian, talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Uh, it's just after 11 o'clock, time for the latest news.